You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's episode's a good one. We've got a guy who is a terrific performer in our industry, and he's run several seasons of his own podcasts. It's called The Tailgate Entertainer. Folks, this is Mr. Alan Bruce. Alan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Robert. It is a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Now, uh, you work primarily within the Western Fairs region. Is that correct? Uh, mostly, yes. Did a lot of work in Florida and Texas over the years and also up in uh, you know Calgary, uh, but mostly on the West Coast now, yes. Okay. So for some of our listeners out there who aren't familiar with you, can you share a bit about what you do here in our fair industry? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Always hard for my children to answer as well. Uh, you know, <laughs> We're both in the uh, same boat, man. <laughs> yeah, I know because it's changed and it's morphed over the years. There's, it's just not like I don't have one identifier like I'm a magician or I'm a juggler. Uh, basically, I'm involved in special events. And so I have built many shows for fairs over the years, um, had some longstanding shows like the kids pedal tractor poles, um, built a couple custom shows for, for Calgary built a custom exhibit for the Alameda County Fair, things like that. So uh, it's, it's changed over the years um, as I've grown and continues to. Yeah. Got it. So this entire season that we decided to do this podcast is kind of focused on the stories of real people uh, around our fair industry and how this pandemic and a protracted shutdown has changed their lives. And I want to get to that with you here in a second, but first you created several years ago a podcast called The Tailgate Entertainer, and it yeah. seemed to get tremendous response within the, the industry. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yes, it was something that it, it started just as a, I wanted to make it really so it wasn't about me. It was about people's stories that are in our industry. And I think as you've probably experienced, you have young people come into the industry or, or not necessarily young, but people that aren't familiar with the fair industry. And they'll ask you a lot of questions. And I think through what you're doing and what I did and other people, I think there's plenty of resources out there now where they can actually listen to stories, real stories of people that have gone through the trenches in this business. And, and that's what I wanted that to become was a collection of information. And I think that we all learn through story we have since we, we were children and uh, that was the intention is to get a viewpoint and a perspective, not necessarily to, to, to talk about money so much or technique, but just to hear the experiences of, of different people that have been in the industry. When I came in into the industry, if I would have had a resource like that, it would have been, it would have progressed me <laughs> much quicker. And I, I wouldn't have had to go through some of the learning curves that I did. For sure. Now, how many seasons did you do of that of that program? Well, we did two. There's another one coming out, believe it or not. It's just uh, it's it's kind of still pre-COVID. It just took us a while to get it out. So there's another season coming out here in a couple of weeks. Oh, so you're going to have another a whole nother tailgate entertainer season going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have competition. Are you kidding me? It's not, there's, there's no competition. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and those those episodes, because you were we were talking on uh, on over text over the last week or so. Are, are, is that, are you doing also, you talked about a short form podcast you were doing with like short okay, stories? Well, I started a new podcast. Yes. It's called frog hopper, yeah. uh, but that has nothing. That's not industry specific. That's it's a completely the fair different format. Yeah. It's outside of the fair industry. It's just my thoughts. It's content that I create and it's simply uh, designed to 
my, my purpose for putting that out was because I feel like through social media and our news, we get so much negative that yes. this is just a quick little 10 to 15 minute interlude into the day to something that will is hopefully positive and uh, hopefully thought provoking and also a little bit of fun. And, and it enables me to continue to storytell, which is something I've, you know, a skill set that I'm continually working on. So, yeah. Sure. And, you know, and you talk about you're, you're trying to push a little bit more positive and yes, boy, it's been hard to come by in 2020. It's been almost a yeah. surreal experience for so many of us. Can you even remember the beginning of 2020 at this point? Like, do you remember January, February, March? Yes, absolutely. I was in the middle of designing a project for a client, yeah. which got shut down in March. Yeah, and then, you know, <laughs> so. it, it was, <clears throat> I just remember seeing this thing coming on shores and I feel like everything for the last four years has been so politicized that it, you know, they, this virus starts getting going. And of course the media goes off on this and I'm like, Oh, here we go. This is the next, yeah, right. you know, kind of scandal that's apparently going to rock us. And I don't even buy it from the national media anymore. But then I think March 11th hit where world health actually declared it as a, a global pandemic. But another thing happened that day, I think for our industry that kind of got all of us to open our eyes. And that was the day Houston livestock show canceled just a few days into their show. Right. Yeah. They were, I think, I think they were like 11 days in or something. And also during that time, uh, Rio Grande Valley canceled. They yep. were going on at the same time. And yes, I think that kind of shook up our industry a little bit without a doubt. Yeah. Do you remember what, what you thought when you first heard that a show that big had canceled? I mean, they're like the biggest, them and the state fair of Texas. So they're two biggest in the industry. Well, they are, but of course those decisions weren't, uh, all, from the board at Houston Livestock Show, those were, right. I think, if I understand correctly, um, you know, handed down from authorities above them. So yeah. they didn't I think it was have like a the lot mayor of choice and the there. county commissioner or something. Yeah, like that. I don't, I don't really know the facts, so I shouldn't speak to it. But, um, but I don't think it was solely their decision. I think it was bigger than that. So yeah, yeah. I just remember th seeing it and going, oh. And here I am, <clears throat> you know, at that point we're Sarah and I are getting ready to do our, the Sydney Royal Easter show. It was going to be our first major international run oh. and we're getting ready to put Conjure on a, on a plane to fly over there. Mango and Dango had already sent their stuff down. Um, and it was like, well, I really hope we still get to do this. And then over the 24 hours after that, I'm sitting there going, but what happens if we get down there and then they cancel? We're on the other side of the planet, mm -hmm. long way from home. You know, do I get stuck in a quarantine there for 14 days only to, if I can get back to the United States, fly home. And then what do I have to do? Quarantine in LA for 14 days. Right. right. And then, you know, am I going to, how much time and money is going to be lost to, to that cancellation? If that happens, we were certainly they, asked, all of us were asking a lot of questions. <laughs> during yeah. that time. Yeah. And then, you know, sadly for them, but it, you know, luckily in that case, it kind of worked out that on the 13th, we got the email from Linnell that the board had made the decision down there that they were going to pull the plug on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> that was a relief because, you know, it'd be one thing if I was driving to Arizona or California or Utah for a fair and I got a phone call that said, hey, tough luck, but we got to cancel. Okay, I'll put some gas in the truck and turn around and go home. But what do you do when you're 15 hours away from the United States on, a, on an airplane? Yeah, different situation. I'm sure there was a lot of people in that situation that had this, you know, if you're going to Australia, I don't know if that's such a bad place to hang out, but 
yeah, but if it's all locked down and you're <laughs> you're uh, locked up in a hotel room and you yeah, know you don't know yeah. where anything is and you're yeah, you know, we would have made it. I mean, we would have survived that, but certainly I'm I'm glad in this case that it played out the way it did. Uh, how many events were were you able to perform events this year? Just one. Just one. Yeah, the Northwest Montana Fair yeah. in Kalispell. And, uh, yeah. you know, we had to, I had to modify my equipment in order to do that. Um, you know, Mark Campbell really went to bat for the community and, uh, and wanted to make sure that they had, you know, he worked very closely with the health departments and he wanted, he really wanted to make sure that he was trying to have something that felt normal in his community. And so obviously a lot of people didn't attend. Uh, some people did. And, uh, you know, of course they didn't have a carnival there and a lot of the things that, uh, the health department wouldn't allow, right. uh, but they still had the, uh, the biggest thing that came out of that was they had the opportunity for the kids in a safe environment to uh, be able to show their animals. Yep. And then they had an online auction, which I think, uh, produced record numbers. Fantastic. So, yeah, but out of that, what I thought was really cool out of that was they experimented with some new things. Um, for example, when they were weighing the animals, uh, Mark had a separate seating area with bleachers, uh, because typically when they're weighing the animals, you have this, you know, this, this mess of people We you have the kids and the judges and the parents that are all standing around together. And so what right. he did was created a separate area with plenty of distancing with a big screen TV where you could sit and watch the process happen and watch the, the weight of the animals. Yeah. So you didn't have to be over in the arena. So there was plenty of separation going on. Uh, and, and that made it really cool. So I think he experimented with something that long-term he will probably consider doing because it just, it just made it easier uh, for the judges and the kids and the animals to operate in that area. That's awesome. I know yeah. that one when I heard that Houston had canceled, you know, obviously people were just, you had the people on Facebook that were like, but I love going to do the rides and, and Oh, why'd you cancel? But the big story, the overwhelming story was what are the kids doing with their animals? How yes. like, yeah. and that's heartbreaking for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, um, you know, and they managed to put some stuff together to, to support the kids. And I think most fairs have been able to do that, whether, you know, a virtual auction or something like that. Right, right. What the, you know, the underlying theme seems to be when I'm talking to fair managers on this podcast with the interviews I've done so far, that underlying theme seems to be that a lot of the, uh, a, a lot of fairs that might've had the, well, we've always done it that way kind of attitude. We're now forced into a position where you have to innovate and you have to do it right now today. And so I think there's kind of a silver lining there. You know, you want to talk about there's so much negative, but what's the positive that can come out of this pandemic? I think a lot of fairs are now looking at how they run, how they lay out their grounds, how they yep. present their product. And is there a way that despite we've always done it that way, is there a way that might be better, that might be more conducive to this environment? I think that's potentially fantastic. And to hear what, you know, a small fair like that up in Montana can pull off. I mean, if they can pull it off, I mean, what's their, there are, what are they, five days at that fair? Uh, yeah, I think they were five days. Yeah, if I remember, right? Yeah. I mean, you get a smaller Montana fair and they can innovate like that, then absolutely anybody can do it. And that's fantastic to see. Um, but for the rest, for us, you know, I lost, um, I think I was telling you on the, you know, before we started recording, I think it was nine, eight or nine fairs that were contracted. And then another three or four that, you know, we were working on the contracts when, 
everything came down and they canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, do you know how many events you lost this year? I did even take the time to count. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, well, you have to remember also some of the work that I'm doing is more of a, um, a, a project that is a, a contract uh, versus a, a gig. Sure. Uh, I have a combination of both. And so it was a combination of losing, you know, a certain number of days performing and then also projects that I was, uh, that I was working on. So, yeah. So, I mean, as an independent contractor, you know, government comes in and basically says to all of us, our fares, you're done. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you got bills to pay, you know, how does right. that, how does that work out on your end? Well, I'm fortunate uh, at least that uh, Renee works. Uh, you know, and, uh, and we also have never really lived outside of our means. I mean, we, you know, we've, we've lived in a very conservative way financially. And so that came uh, back to help us a little bit, I guess, or, or be a blessing to us. We always say you should save for a rainy day. And it's definitely been raining in 2020. So, uh, so yeah, it's been tough, not near as tough as it has been for a lot of other people that are couples that are out on the road performing or in the you know, music industry together or, or all the other industries that have been affected. Uh, sure. It has definitely hurt my business. There's no doubt, but it hasn't, it hasn't made it the focus of my business this year. Uh, you know, the financials are what they are. I've had good years and bad years and that will always continue. Yep. So I, I think it's really mentally how you, uh, how you deal with this that uh, determines where you're going to be, you know, a, a year from today. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, other, other attractions and acts out there that are, um, you know, maybe they're just a solo act, but they, you know, there's nobody, they're not married. There's nobody, no real breadwinner there. Um, in talking with some of the other guests while I've been recording this season, it's become really apparent that, that more of us within the fair family, you know, collectively, and that's entertainers and fair managers and vendors, more of us need to be in, in touch and, and checking on one another. It, it became um, kind of an eye opener for me. I was reading a report from, I think it was the Robert Graham center, what they call deaths of despair, where you have an increase in situations like this of drug and alcohol, substance abuse and suicide. Sure. Um, I just, I feel like, um, you know, we need to be reaching out to one another and checking on each other. Have you been in contact with with other friends and, and within the fair industry to make sure everybody's doing okay around you? Yeah, I have. And I've been deeply humbled by the people that have called me and, and said, Hey, how you doing? You know, yeah. just checking in and, uh, and those people that, that you can empathize with and uh, people that are in the same boat, you've, you've got better <laughs> stories, I think, <laughs> you know, and you, cause we're all going through the same thing in a financial yeah. sense. Um, and you know, we pretty much all know what each other makes in this industry. It's not a secret. And so right. there's, there's a lot of commonality there. There's a lot of things. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's nice to be on a conversation with someone that's going through the same thing and then get off that conversation when you hang up the phone and, and feel positive or uplifted. Uh, yeah. And so I think we choose what paths we go down. If we want to, if we want to, you know, sit there and talk about the negative the whole time or, or how bad we're doing or talk about opportunity and so I've, I really try to surround myself with people that just want to talk about ideas and, and how this has created opportunity and how we can take this and make it work for our benefit. Yeah. Well, and that's, I've been, as this year's gone on, I keep looking 
you know, I'm, I'm watching fairs and trying to get a, a feel on how they're, they're responding. Um, cause that will very much, you know, kind of dictate how we as, as performers and, and service right. providers respond. But my thing is always, what's the opportunity and, you know, that could be a variety of things. You might end up starting a whole new business within the fair industry. You didn't realize you might start a whole new business outside the industry that you didn't realize, you know, you find the need and you provide for it. You know, right, in my right. case, I think back on, you know, to 2008, 9, 10, 11, when I was doing a street magic show and, you know, my street magic show was, it was all right. If you lined a hundred magicians up, I might be number 49 or 50 in the, in terms of quality, you know, I wasn't great. I wasn't awful. Um, but then when the idea came up to build this fortune machine initially was like, Ey, that's way outside my bubble. I don't know how I would do that. But I, I just kind of embraced it. And then once it was built, I just organically let the audience develop it. The audience told me what they wanted from that. And now right. I've got a fantastic attraction that, um, you know, I, I love and I adore. And now right. I'm looking in this position where you've got this pandemic going on. Things are going to change, I think, for the next probably 18 to 36 months that we're outperforming shows are going to look a little different. Some shows are going to need to be modified. And I'm sitting here going, we had one fair reach out to me and say, how are you going to make conjure fortune machine COVID safe? And we said, well, you know, it, reluctantly, we're going to put plexiglass in the box and we'll vent it out the top and put some fans in there. And we talked about um, switching the, instead of handing out the fortune cards, getting one of the actual dispensers that the Zoltar machines actually use it, it you know, at the Houdini's mm -hmm. magic shop or whatever, when you see them in touristy spots, one of those actual auto dispensers, because then I'm, I'm not touching them. And um, they asked a question about one thing with conjure. Could you do this one thing with it? And it is so outside the box literally for what conjure is. But I said, yeah. And you know, I've got about nine months to kind of figure out how we're going to do it. Right. But I'm right. looking forward to it because it's an opportunity to innovate and, you never know that new version of conjure that comes out might be the most in-demand thing. And I'm book 150 days a year with it. Right. And I, I think we should embrace those opportunities. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think we're going to move forward uh, better and quicker. If we first understand what our clients problems really are, their problems have changed. Yes. And, uh, and what, um, you were talking about the the other podcast that I started last week. I did a little episode on on value and what that is, and and I picked something up from a speaker about a year ago. He was talking about that we we can't we can't create value because it is derived, it is subjective, and uh, it took me a, a little bit to really wrap my head around that concept. But he was right because what we have or what we've provided in our industry um, is had value. But right now it doesn't. It's like, and I use this example in the podcast. I, I said, you know, it was when I was in the grocery industry, it was really hard to sell pumpkins after Halloween <laughs> because it's not that the pumpkins changed. It's the perception of the value of those pumpkins that changed. Correct. So I think our goal right now as, as service members are to really hone in on some of our key clients and find out what are their new problems and how can we solve those problems? Yeah, because, uh, for example, a lot of them are trying to really reach out to their audience uh, virtually. 
And if there's a way that we can, and I know there's, there's already a lot of people doing things virtually magic shows. And I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's not, it's not a new concept, but, but are they just doing the same old thing virtually and having, trying to create a plug and play or are they solving their clients problems? Yeah. And I think that, I think we first need to have that dialogue and we have to ask more questions and better questions to our clients to find out because many of them have lost staff. Yep. Uh, they've lost their resources that they had. Sure. Uh, and to, to them, our products right now have no value. And so we need to, to get back to that point where they see value in what we have. Yep. Their perception of what we have right now has to change. Right. And so if we, if we can answer some of those problems or answer the questions to some of their problems, I think that we can really get back to them seeing value in what we have. And that switches the whole mindset. It's like, you know, I mean, conjure, is there, a, instead of just doing it virtually, is there a way to do that where it's actually in some weird way, very interactive in a way that nobody else has thought of doing it? And I don't have the answers. I'm just saying that right. those are the questions we really need to start asking yep. for right now. Granted, if it's 36 months till we get back to regular fares, then it'll all be back to normal. But right now we need to answer, uh, we need to help our clients solve their problems and yeah. their different problems than they had a year ago. Absolutely. And yeah. it may not be an issue necessarily of they don't have value for us. I think, I think everybody knows that entertainment, and I think we see it now more than ever, entertainment and laughing and letting go of your problems from that week or whatever has more value than ever. But maybe one of the questions is, do they have the resources like you suggested to be able to capture that value? Because even once they, you know, even once a fair said, let's just say, you know, Florida starting to reopen, unless they things go well down there and all these Florida fairs happen in the spring, how many businesses that were sponsors a year or two years ago, you know, that have given a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars to support their fair are out of business there's not sponsorship money there for them anymore. You know, I think there's a general feeling um, when I talk to people that, you know, a year or two, if the government just gets this under control and we can get the pandemic under control, we'll just, the fairs will just reopen and we'll be good to go. Well, the fairs may reopen, but that fair that had a $200,000 entertainment budget, do they only have a $70,000 entertainment budget now? Right. I, th I think the right. space for, you know, people like us as performers and service providers, I think the bandwidth that we have to, uh, we're going to have for a few years in, within the fair industry is going to be much more narrow. And so it's more important yeah. than ever to deliver that value and figure out what is it that these fairs really need. Right. I think the dialogue goes two ways. Uh, there is a lot of service members that have talents that many of the fair managers and or other service members are unaware of. You know, for example, people know you now as the conjurer, yep. but do they know that you are a magician? You know, I don't know. Do they know that you, you came from a broadcasting background, correct? Yeah, it's my okay. degree. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people might not know that. So when you have, let's take yourself for an example, when you have a fair that has lost maybe a great deal of their staff, is there a way that you can go in there and as, as an interim be, before they can, you know, hire new people, maybe help them with their broadcasting needs in some way, because you have that expertise yep. just as much as we need to start asking our, our clients better and more questions. They can also ask us the same and find out, Hey, you know, if I hired you for this, what, what other assets can you bring to our team? Sure. 
And so that's a two-way dialogue that needs to happen more. If there's anything that I think our conventions can capitalize on this year is, is saying, look, here's, here's what this guy can bring to the table. Right. You know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of talents there that you can offer our, your clients that they might not be aware of. Yep. And that, <clears throat> that's one of, if I can tell you, if I was a fair manager and entertainment director, I would be making, you know, building out a roster of potential acts and it wouldn't just be, you know, I want to put a magician on this stage. It would be, I need to put an act on this stage, but I also need a voice of the fair. I also need somebody mm -hmm. that can be a social media street team that instead of having to hire, you know, a social media marketing firm to come out and promote the fair that might cost me $10,000 could I kick an extra thousand dollars to this act and they're spending all week loading our social media with great content. Right. I, right. and that would, that to me, if I was a fair on the fair planning side, that would be a really heavy weight. Right. Well, I think that, um, the best meetings come at our greatest inconvenience. Um, and you know, everybody wants to meet, uh, at the, at the trade shows when it's convenient and, and I've always believed that the best meetings come when there's a, there's a greater cost. And that's when you get in your car or you get on an airplane and you go visit your client. However, you can do that safely today and right. sit across the table from them and, and have this kind of discussion. And I think it's uh, I think you get to know them number one at a deeper level personally. I think that the dialogue uh, uh, goes to areas that probably wouldn't happen at a convention. And, and then you can start to understand what their problems really are. It might not be anything what we're, you know, thinking that it might be. And it's only then that I think that we can offer other talents that we may have. And there's a lot out there. Yep. Uh, but a lot of them, I think right now, a lot of fair managers, because they've lost so much staff, they, they don't know what to do. They just, they're, it's enough to maintain. And so they're, they would, I think, really love to have, somebody come in and say, how can I be of help to you? There are some things that I have. There's some, there's some arrows in my quiver that you might not know about that I can help you with. Yep. And I think that it gives us also the opportunity to build some very long-term relationships. Uh, that old saying that, you know, they don't, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, yep. that type of thing. I, I think uh, this is a perfect opportunity to really, uh, to really build those friendships and those relationships. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> you know, one of our, um, one of the other guests I've had on Linnell Smith from the Sydney Royal Easter show, she said that she has treated this year very much like a grief process. Mm, when yeah. she, when she said that to me, it kind of hit differently because I'd gone through this whole year, just kind of feeling like, you know, when is this going to end? It feels like, you know, everybody, the governors want to point the finger at Trump. Trump wants to point the finger at everybody else. Government's abdicating their responsibility. It just seems like we're all on our own. And uh, it, it hurts to see, um, you know, your fellow Americans and, and fellow humans around the world being suffering from this thing and seeing businesses, you know, disappear forever and unemployment skyrocketing and, and those jobs lost. And then when she said that, it really, it was like, this is a grief process. And it, I feel like maybe if we treated it as a grief process, we might have a lot more people recovering um, from this in a different way. What do you think we can do both as a collective industry and as individuals to help build people back up 
and give them encouragement and hope in our fair family. It, it all starts with, with empathy. Huge. And, uh, and it, and it's, we have to have, we have to have dialogue. We have the perfect opportunity right now to really um, challenge tradition versus relevance in our communities. And I think that is, uh, that's open for dialogue right now. I mean, if fairs are truly a reflection of our communities, are we, this is the time to ask the questions, are we really reaching out to our communities or are we doing what, what is tradition and what used to reach out to our communities 50 years ago? Right. Our communities have changed. And this is a great time for our, our fairs to really question whether or not they are a representation of our communities. Uh, and, and so I think it starts with, with always with dialogue. You know, when things are good, like they were a few years ago or a couple years ago, you know, there's, there's always plenty of problems, right? I mean, you had problems. I had problems. We have problems with getting places, with transportation, with competition, with, you know, whatever. We always have these problems. This is a great time to sit back and analyze those problems and, and find better solutions for them. Yeah. It is a grief process. And I've never, you know, I had... A, when I was 30, I had this experience just like we've had here. I lost my job. Uh, I was working for a, a large corporation and they hauled 26 of us into a, a, a room and said, we're eliminating this division. And all of us were unemployed. And I had never been unemployed since I was 13 years old. And, uh, and I took six months. We, we didn't have a lot of bills and I was married. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to take six months and think. It's the best six months I ever had. So I'm not going to rush into anything. I'm going to think. And in the interim, I took, I took, uh, I went to work for a temp agency and the, the very airport that I had flown out in with a suit and tie the week prior to, I was washing the dishes, um, as a dishwasher, a temporary dishwasher. And that's, that's very humbling. Number one. And it's also, uh, it's a great way to, to, to just pay the bills and keep your mind on something else. And that's what a lot of people are doing right now. And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. No, uh, it, a great opportunity to put our prides, you know, on a shelf yeah. and, and, and say, Hey, I, I need to pay the bills. This isn't what I'm going to do. It's not what I'm called to do, but this is what I have to do right now. Yeah. That's one of my, uh, one of my good friends in this industry, uh, Jeremiah, who is one of the robo cars, you know, the, the guys that yeah. like the transformer cars. Yeah. No, Jeremiah is a fantastic dude. A great performer. Whenever he's at a fair, man, he goes all out for that fair. Yeah. And, but he's based out of Florida. And earlier in the year when Florida closed up, I guess he moved up to North Carolina with some family and, you know, took a, for a while was taking a job in some landscaping and then started a job at Home Depot. I mean, making, I don't know, whatever they paid 10, 12 bucks an hour, 11 bucks an hour, something like that. Because he wasn't, uh, he didn't, he didn't look at it as beneath him. You know, he looked at it oh. as he had a responsibility to make some money and, and keep himself above board. And I, I respect that the daylights out of that hustle. I mean, that is, that's fantastic. And, yeah. uh, I, you know, I when, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, when you screw up in this industry, you, you, you know it. And if you lose jobs because you screwed up, it's, it's your fault. None of this is our fault. Correct. And so, and so it helps, it helps when I can talk to a guy like you or other friends and know that, Hey, they're in the same boat. They're going out and getting jobs or doing this or doing that. These are very extremely talented people just the opportunity right now is not there for them to, to make money knowing what they do. So, uh, are doing what they know, excuse me. 
so this is, it, it does help to, to start that dialogue that way. It's like, okay, we're, we're kind of in a tough situation. So how do we, how do we get out of this together? I think the first couple of two, three months, I don't think anybody wanted to have that discussion because we were, it wasn't like anybody called us up and said, your summer is completely wiped out. It was watching these dominoes fall very slowly through March, April, May, and, and, and they just it, continued. They it was continued denial. Slowly. It was denial is what it was. <laughs> well, I don't want to call it denial. I think that every, every fair, every person had a different situation. Um, but the thing is, is that now we, we have a clear vision of our path for the next six months. And even the end of that path is a little bit cloudy, but we know that now that conventions are going to be virtual, that there's not a lot of work going on right now between, you know, well, I don't know, maybe February things will start up. Point is, is that it's, it's, I think a lot of people have shaken their heads and it's be, their, their future is a lot more clear. And it's really the time now to have this dialogue of, of if we want to keep our industry active, how do we help our fairs do that? Without yeah. them, we're out of business right now. Yeah, for, and that's for, exactly for guys why- that just perform- that's exactly why I started the podcast now. You know, we had talked about it. Um, Sarah and I were discussing it back in February and we were like, you know, we should start, a, we start up the podcast again and, and do some interviews yeah. with people. And um, well, what you're doing is great. It's yeah, awesome. We, de- we decided at that point, we were like, you know, we got this huge trip coming up to Australia. We really need to give that our focus right now. So once we get back from Australia and it settles, we were thinking like May, beginning of June, we would start. And then all hell broke loose and it was like, yeah, this is not the time to ask fairs how they're doing. And, right. uh, but now I, I kind of feel like as we got to the end of the year, you know, we're just about to that point where even if we'd had a season, you know, affairs had happened, you know, by the 10th or 12th or so of November, pretty much everything is, is done until you get into January down in South Florida. And so we thought, well, this is, this is a better time. And then for sure when I, if he, you know, when Marlon, Steve, and everybody made the announcement that IFE was done, mm-hmm. um, that's when it was like, okay, we've got an industry full of people that are hurting, that are seeing a future with nothing but unknown. It's, we need to tell these stories. We need to get this information out because for me, you know, there's no money in this for me. I, I'm not, there's no, I'm not paying, I'm not getting paid. There's no sponsors for the show. But for me, the value is in putting these stories out you never know who's going to listen to this and hear you say something and go, I need to get in touch with that guy about an idea or another fair manager. hears something and goes, I need to call that other fair manager because we might be able to help them or they can help us and we can start connecting people, you know, in, in recovering this. Um, so with that said, what, what advice do you have for people in our fair family right now that are struggling? I think start, excuse me, I think start from a position of kindness. I know that sounds, that sounds mushy, but I think it's, I think it's where we need to start and, and start asking a lot of questions and listening. Yeah. I think that's the best advice. I think everybody's situation is different. Some people are handling this pretty good, but there's some people that are really hurting Yeah, and, and they're, and their pride in our industry, you know, they've always, they've been very successful and now financially they're, they're really struggling. Yep. You know, we don't, we don't know what people are going through because we don't walk in their shoes. And so I think when we start from a position of kindness and empathy and that we, we start asking questions and really listen, 
I mean, really listen to their situation. I think we will find that every fair manager has a different situation. Every service member has a different situation financially, emotionally. Yep. And, and I think that's where we need to start our dialogue. If we can't do that, then we, we can't start. Yeah. So I think that's the only advice I can give right now and uh, really be empathetic to everybody's situation. Uh, it's, you know, the, 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 the fairs that have a lot of resources financially, a lot of staff, they're going through situations right now that they've never experienced. Yeah. And those that have, have always had small staffs are sometimes now down to two people in the office. Yeah. Uh, those are different situations, but the feelings aren't any different. It's feelings of yep. despair. Yeah. And they're and, valid. And, like, you know, I, I, I could see, you know, a, a fair manager or a CEO of a fair who had a staff of 40, you know, who still has his or her job. They're still making their, yeah. their annual salary. They're not financially personally hurt. They're still going through the motions. But if you just had to let go of 25 people that you've worked with for 10 years, that, that hurts. It hurts big time. And, and also from a, a, a dollar standpoint, uh, our governments right now, our, our state governments are in dire straits financially. Yeah. So I don't care how good a lobbyist we have. I question whether or not uh, there is any funding for any fares in any of the states. And, and so I think we need, to, we need to start looking from that perspective also of, of how can, you know, I mean, how can we solve that problem for our fares? Uh, right. That's, that's, these are big issues that are all going to trickle down to guys like you and I. Oh yeah. And, and being where we are, I mean, in the hierarchy of, of, of fair, you know, we are not the, the milk. It's a, a friend of mine has often said it, when it comes to fair items, we're not the milk at the back of the grocery store. That's <laughs> yeah, very right. important. But there's a reason it's put there. Right. We're the Snickers bar that happens to be at the, at the check stand. You know, we're the thing that, uh, kind of, I feel like we're, I don't want to say bottom of the totem pole, but like these fairs, they can have agricultural fairs without us, you know, yes, it may look can. very different, but yeah. we're at the kind of the bottom rung. And so m my attitude is, okay. So you've always stood there and said, you know, I want this much money a day for three shows a day. Okay. What else can you bring the fair? Like we talked about, can you come into the fair and say, well, I'd really like to get this much for this many shows and I'll do this and I'll do that. And Oh, by the way, I already have a sponsor that'll cover 50%. I, you Isn't know, that huge. Yeah. If you huge. can start bringing in stuff, those are the people that are going to win. Like I like to look around the fairs and I see year in and year out acts that have um, a great deal of quality winning over and over again. But what's going to yeah. happen in the future is the act that brings the most to the table regardless of how entertaining they are, they might be a super average or below average magician, but if they bring sponsorship money to the table, if they bring, you know, being able to do social media marketing to the table, if they bring other value to the table, uh, they're going to get that show. They're the ones going to get the gig. And I think right. we all need to be prepared for um, how our businesses are going to change in the future and how, yes. I mean, yeah. and this is, we can look at this as a, as a crisis where, Oh my God, all is lost. How am I going to move on? You know, or we can look at this as, as opportunity and go, okay, 
how are we going to push and how are we going to innovate? Because I've yeah. always conjured fortune machine and our play with giants, our, our ad games. I've got those in my, as they are now, they're in my back pocket. They'll, they always will be in my back pocket. This version of conjure can get pulled out of a drawer. Absolutely. Anytime. Right. But right. the opportunity to say, what if we do this and then make it completely COVID safe? Right. You know, so that I don't have yeah. crowds gathering all around me, but they can be uh, spread out a little differently or so that we can guarantee or, you know, as the, as all the, you know, the 409 and the cleaner say 99.9% .9 guarantee can hundred percent guarantee right. safety. Right. How do we innovate that? How do we change it? And more than just conjure, how do I Robert or how do you Alan bring something to a fair that provides real value to them? Those are the businesses that are going yeah. to survive. And contrary to, I think, what some people believe, there are, uh, I'm getting this from my discussions recently with other fair managers, there's a lot of people in the community that actually want to sponsor something uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, their businesses have done very well. And sure. there's almost a, I don't want to say there's a, a feeling of guilt. It's, it's like just, survivor's uh, guilt almost. Well, it's, I think so in a way, but I think it's, it also comes from a position of they want to give back. They want to say thank you to the community in some way that is positive yep. and to have a, to have a positive, uh, you know, spin on it, I guess, for lack of better words. And so there are, there are, I think many sponsors that are looking for something creative and there's fair managers are out there that are trying to find something creative. So there is this, this, this huge amount of opportunity that has presented itself and it's just waiting for people to fill the gaps. And there are some that are. There's some service members out there that are doing some very creative things right now, and they're still trying to hone it in and, and, and work it out. But the, but the response they're getting from the fair managers are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, listen, I appreciate you being on the show before we go. Yes, sir. Everyone on the show goes through a little series of speed round questions. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's, Let's do it. And uh, these questions these speed round questions were not arranged uh, in advance. You don't know what I'm going to ask you. I have no idea. And so I'm an open book. Let's, Go ahead. let's learn a little bit more really quickly about Mr. Okay. Alan Bruce. All right, let's do it. First up, funnel cake or fried Oreos? Definitely funnel cake. Funnel cake for sure. I'm with you on that. What's your favorite thing about the fair? Watching kids learn the skills that they do in the 4-H and FFA. I, I dig it. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, definitely Star Trek. Amen. Now, Kirk or Picard? Oh, Picard. Amen. You're yeah. my kind of guy. You're my kind of guy. <laughs> What's your favorite concert you've ever attended? Oh, uh, Earth, Wind & Fire. First concert I ever went to was, was amazing. Uh, more costume changes than I've ever seen ever in a concert. Just blew my Earth, mind. Earth, Wind & yeah. Fire. Man, I've yeah. gotten, on that question, I've gotten some fantastic answers so far. <laughs> What's the furthest from home you've ever traveled? Well, I used to live in Japan. I've been in Europe. I've kind of done the globe thing. So, yeah. Oh, listen to you bragging. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Last question. Yep. We uh, were recording this a week before, just a week before the presidential election here in the United States. Yep. You can go back in time to meet mm -hmm. one president of the United States. Which president do you meet? Oh boy, that is a loaded you all at question. You can't see him, but he's on the screen and I see a little bit of of uh, smoke coming out of his ears. Yeah, there's definitely while he's some trying smoke to process this one. <laughs> so what do you, you think? You know, I I guess I would have to go back to the very beginning and go back to Washington. Hey, 
good choice. I thought sure you'd say Lincoln. That seems to be the safe answer so far. Yeah, why, no, I think why, I'd go back to Washington and, and why because Washington. I would, because I think it, it it's it would answer some questions of how and why things started better for me. Yeah, so that's why. So I I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question back. So for me, <laughs> I would go back also, but I'd go to Madison. Madison, okay. Because having drafted the Constitution. There's some language in that constitution and that bill of rights that I'd like to say, hey, just so you know, a couple hundred years from now, we're going to have a lot of fights over this. If you could <laughs> clarify this now, that would be great. And if it, yeah. wasn't, if it wasn't Madison, I would want to meet Truman. Truman? Okay. Yes, because I think there are a few presidents, there are a couple presidents we've got that saved humanity. You mm. had Lincoln that saved the Union, and I think Truman – made a decision that had to be the most gut-wrenching decision any president's ever made. But his decision to drop the, those bombs on Japan, I think, saved humanity because I think it ended that war. Mm. And I'd want to talk to him about that decision process. Well, the difference is, is that you had time to think about the question. <laughs> I did because I wrote it. <laughs> I wrote it a week ago. <laughs> so, man, Alan, I, um, if listeners want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Well, they can find me on probably Facebook is the best place. Yeah. Uh, you're, you and I are friends, so they can, yep. they can go through those channels. Yep. And uh, when we I post this, uh, when we post this up, we'll make sure we, um, you know, run a link over to your Facebook page. And yeah. uh, man, I really appreciate you being on the show today. It was a really good conversation. I find you to be one of the more uh, thoughtful and ins insightful people with, you know, you really get me to think when I talk with you, man. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate that very much. It has been a pleasure being here with you. Seriously, All I mean that. And right. you're doing great work out there. Keep doing it. Thanks, Alan. You bet. We'll see you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.